You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Hello, and welcome to the From the Shadows podcast. I am the producer, Jason Lewis. I would like to thank you for tuning in to the From the Shadows podcast. And without further ado, here is your host, Shane Grove. So uh, we'd like to welcome our very first official guest to the uh, podcast, Dr. Rebecca Foster. Welcome, Dr. Foster. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. It's fun. Thank you for coming on. So, Dr. Foster, this is the judge we've met. Um, I'd like to take you back uh, to when you were a child. Um, When do you first recall experiencing um, having unexplained experiences in your life that made you think, wow, there's something else out there that, that... it goes beyond what you what normal people experience. Um, from the time that I was really little, I can always remember just being afraid of ghosts, just and, and for really no reason other than make a TV show or something here or there. But when I was five years old, four years old, um, my great grandfather passed away, and. I apparently was at Montessori when it happened. I was four. And uh, when I got home, my mom said, you know, Baba just died. And I was like, and I knew what that meant. And I went upstairs and I went to sleep and I was upset. But my memory of it was I was in the living room 
And I watched them, the paramedics, bring him down the stairs on a stretcher and he was covered up. And he sat up in the, on the stretcher and goes, where am I? Where are they taking me? And I was like, oh my God. And I woke up and I went and told my mom what had happened. Um, and that, and I was outside shortly after that, riding my bike. It was night. And we have those, my grandmother's house had those giant floodlights on the garage. And it was casting shadows and I was driving, riding my bike down the driveway and he was standing in right where the light faded and it turned dark and he was standing there with his cane and his straw hat and I was like, holy cow! And I I was only little. I freaked out. I was terrified. So he was and standing, I, as, as the, the name of our podcast, in the shadows. <laughs> and that's funny. Yeah. That's funny that I even put it that way. But it was. It was right when it turned dark. And um, I, I rode back to my parents and then I went back and he was gone. But Were you scared uh, when you what? when you saw him? I mean... Obviously, this was someone that you knew. I mean, so were yeah, you scared? I, yeah, I was. I was little, and I was afraid, like, holy crap, that's Bumpa. And I whooped back around, and when I went back, he was gone. And I've never forgotten. That was my real first um, experience seeing someone I knew, knowing they were dead, and that they were right there. And so I, I just kind of grew up and blew it off. Although I was always aware of things, I just grew up thinking I was crazy, tell you the truth. Because this was before ghost hunting was a thing and having those abilities was a thing. And so I just grew up thinking I was going to be pretty much uh, sent to an asylum at some point. <laughs> so. So, so what, so the first time, you, you know, you said you saw him set up on the, on the gurney. What what did your parent? What did your mom or what, what did they say? How did they explain? It? How did they react? They they just basically blew it off that it was a dream and that I was uh, not actually there when they brought him out. And I was like, I was. I'll never forget it. Just absolutely never forget it. Uh, it's a visual that is always just like stuck out in my mind. And um, I, I get you know. When I really think back about it, I always experienced these things. One of my favorite places to be was the cemetery. We would, I would go with my grandparents every weekend, and we'd go picnic at the cemetery. I know that's crazy, right? And Mary. We, would, we, would, we would clean up the cemetery, and we'd sit and have picnics there that we'd go make lunch, and we'd bring it with us, and that's where I hung out all day, and we'd watch them dig the graves. And um, my stepfather... <clears throat> actually was the one who'd bring the back coast so he'd like lower me down into the grave <laughs> <laughs> is this an episode of the adams family that's what i want to know holy moly <laughs> so when you were when you were going to the cemetery having picnics and doing those things were you seeing things or experiencing things at that time always they, it was just uh, for me it was normal uh and i never really i guess i never really anything because you know parents or grandparents are always like oh no it's nothing because they're terrified that their child or their animal is seeing something and they're like no 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 that's nothing well let me ask you this and i think jerry and i we talked about this um a little bit before we came on is you were able to discern that these things were there were they able to discern that you knew they were there like they could understand that you saw them Yep, absolutely. And uh, the funny thing is, is my grandmother's house, everybody, it's one of those old homes where if you lived in the house, you died in the house. There was no hospital. There was it. So pretty much the entire family um, died in the home, including my father, and except my grandfather, he had cancer. He was in the hospital. 
Um, and so we, as a, as a child, you'd be in the, one of the bedrooms sleeping and you'd hear someone come up the stairs, the creaky stairs, you'd hear them walk down the hall and you'd be like, what? And you'd open the door and there's no one there. And it happened on a daily basis where I'd be like, grandma, ah, oh, great, it's not grandma. And they'd bang on the walls and they knew we were there. They would check on us. My grandmother, actually my great grandmother, when my father passed, uh, I, I slept in the room, his old room, and I was like, no big deal. He's not going to mind. My great grandmother did. And she poked me right in that spot in the middle of your back that you're like, uh, you know, you jump forward. And I turned around and I thought, great. Just great. Somebody just poked me in my back. And as I was falling asleep, she got right up in my ear and she went, what are you doing in here? And I was like, oh my God. And I jumped up. Now, this is, I'm like, I'm, I was only 16 or 17. It wasn't like I was a child. And I ran into my brother's room and I said, dude, great grandma, great grandma Pronger, she's freaking out on me right now. And uh, she just want me a dance room. And he's like, dude, I think he was drunk. He's like, do you want to play shots? And I'm like, no, you don't understand. <laughs> so, I mean, so as you're growing up and, and you're able to see these things, experience these things, and these things are, are obviously communicating with you, did you ever try to communicate back with them, talk to them? I did. So, again, nobody knew what I was able to do. Nobody was able, nobody knew I was seeing things or hearing things. So jumping back in time, when I was about 13, um, I went through a really rough patch. And uh, I did not just, I, I did not walk into what I do knowing that this gift was from God. I entered this gift completely swayed by the other side. And so I was creating my own Ouija boards and my own talismans, and I had turned a beautiful dollhouse into like a seance home. And um, in doing so, I was really invoking all these things around me. And so I really was introduced to what I do wholly not by God, but by a darker thing. And it came to my attention that I was attracting them. They were around me, um, kind of protecting me in a way, but not so much. Um, and I realized that uh, they could hear me, understand me. I could communicate with them. They were actively moving things in my room, terrifying me. And I was like, please God, I don't know what I've done, just don't let me go to hell. I will do anything you want me to do, just don't let me go to hell. And from that point on is when I was able to actually start consciously controlling it enough to read people and communicate messages to people from others and from spirit guides and so forth and so on. So. Uh, and still at that point, I mean, I was being tested for schizophrenia and I was, everybody thought I was nuts, including myself. So, um, not until I was 16 did I actually say, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm not crazy. And, uh, so let me ask, it, let me ask you this. Did you ever get the impression, and this is, this is going to come from probably ever, you know, literary works or movie or cinema that... When you're communicating with someone that you think is a deceased loved one, you're not really communicating with them. That is some sort of entity disguising itself as someone that you knew or you loved or you cared about to try to bring you in. Did you ever get the impression that the people that you were contacting that you thought you knew in your, when they were alive weren't actually them? Okay. 
So to answer that, I do not question the debt. I don't ask them questions because the darker things, everybody's born with the good things and the dark things. It's like proverbial Tom and Jerry on either side, you know, the devil angel thing going. And so I do not ask questions because the darker things can answer any of the questions that I ask. So, and, and as well as other people. So when I read for someone, if a person is going to cross dimensions from the heavenly realm to me, fine, I will do it. But what I find is it's exhausting for me to cross from here to them. And I also know that if I ask Mary's uncle Joe a question, anything can disguise itself and answer the question. And I would be, I would be tricked. So I don't ask questions. I only converse with their guides and it's like a telepathic thing so that what they want me to know, I will then get from the loved ones. And, um, that's how I discern. I don't ask questions. And I've also learned now I don't, as although I go on investigations, I have learned, do not ask questions. If they have something to say to me, I will repeat it. But I do not, I no longer say, who are you? What's your name? Because anything can answer. So. So when you, so when back to the time where you were making your own Ouija boards and stuff, <laughs> so like, so did you, were you confronted then with some spirits or, or beings from, yeah. that made you, that's what made you realize then, wow, this can get really bad really quick. And that's what, yeah. okay. Um, yeah. Well, what was there, I mean, is there a, is there a specific incident that happened that, that? Yeah, that, several. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so at that point, I basically told God to go to hell. I just said, I hate you. I don't want anything to do with you. You are, you know, you've ruined my life. I disown you. I mean, I, I did everything I could to separate myself from him and I yelled it like I yelled it at him. And by doing that, I was like, whoever wants to now keep in mind I had influence around me that pretty much said that if you look towards the darker side, you can be given a lot of knowledge. Um, and power. And now my brother was one, my older brother was one who he, the only thing that saved him and he was part of my biggest influence into this whole thing was um, he was, he's alive today because of his faith. That's it. This thing came to him, I'm not going to say its name, and it said, you say my name three times and I will give you whatever you want. He used to be able to put his hand on an Ouija board and, and it would set on fire, it would smoke and smolder. And, um, he was, it was crazy or it was just demonic is all I can say. And so he said, well, Ouija boards are fun, but if you make your own, you put all your own energy into it. And I was like, cool. So oh, I went and made my own Ouija boards. I hung them on my walls. I made little ones and made them and put them in all my dollhouse room. And, um, this thing used to, it would come and it would open all my bedroom windows. It would move the dollhouse. It would poke people repeatedly who came into my room if I wasn't in there. Um, and it just became overwhelmingly terrifying. And it was like I was calling these things to me. And um, So you were a magnet, basically. You were being a magnet for evil forces that wanted to... Yeah. To affect people and, and say our realm 
Yeah. And how old were how old were you when you finally realized, hey, what I'm doing is is bringing these bad things into my daily life, and they're affecting me. They're affecting the people around me. I was 13. That's when I realized that, and that's when I um, pretty much was on my knees just praying to God that I didn't go to hell. And that's when I started trying to focus on more of um, just what I was capable of doing and what I could see and how I heard it. And, and it kind of became a circus act, and I'd go to Denny's, and I'd sit there, and my brother would be like, dude, come here, man. This is just going to read you. She knows how to do this. It's like, And it was it – was, so much fun and I at the time was like I can't even believe I'm doing this but because of that people started coming to me privately and uh, again not until I was 16 did I really wake up and go wait okay this is this is something this is actually something I'm able to do and uh, over the course of time I was able to tweak it to learn how to shut it off and um, just it, it, it's just transitioned so many times over the years that's but i've been doing it for 33 years now so and as far as is is what you do now can you tell us a little bit about what you do now I, I assume that you're using your gifts to to help people to help people understand yeah. to reach comfort understanding can you give us a little bit of what you do now well my whole thing now is that uh I use my gift to make sure that people know, one, that they're not alone, and that, two, that somebody upstairs knows what's going on in their life. And I, I truly attempt to give people the information that's going to help get them over a hump, that otherwise they, need, they may be feeling so alone or attacked that they don't, don't want to go on. And... I do not use it purposely. If somebody says, Rebecca, can you tell me if I'm going to marry Tom, Dick, or Harry? I'm like, no. Nah. I don't do that. Would you be able um, to do that if you really wanted to? I, I, I could if that's what they're supposed to know. I don't ask questions. When I read for someone, I don't even know who they are. I do it over the phone. Um, I write, you know, somebody will book a reading. My, my calendar will say, you have a reading at 630. And that's as far as I go. Um, I write it on the calendar, so when someone calls, I'll be like, hi, how you doing? Okay, let's go in. I don't even know who I'm talking to. And um, <clears throat> Do you have someone that schedule, do you have someone that schedules for you so that when you write on your calendar, I'm having this appointment, that person yeah. actually knows, knows who it is, knows it's a male, female, no. or anything like that? No. No. It's just an automated, it's a calendar system that they can go into my website, they can just do the whole thing themselves, and then I'm notified that I have an appointment at such and such a time. Um, so I don't know a person's, um, unless they know me and like, oh, Rebecca, I'm booking an appointment. You know, I don't know. So until I'm on the phone with someone, I don't know if it's male, female, black, white, Asian, Indian, what the religion is. I don't know anything about them. And um, I don't let people ask questions. So I get right into the whole thing. When I'm done, people can ask questions or clarify things I've said, but it keeps a clean reading that way. And um, I don't, I'm not privy to anything what they want to know. So it's, that's how I want it to be. So, so somebody calls you up and so how does that process work? I mean, how does that work? Like it just, 
did, you know, well, them, them calling I, I, you up triggers. I mean, how does that how does that begin? Like, if you don't if you don't know anything, how do you know? Like, for example, if you don't see the person, you know, years ago, back in probably early 2000, I was on vacation somewhere and went into one of these uh, fortune teller type places and, and fully expected that this was a complete act. Um, however, about 15 minutes into it, some really weird, creepy stuff happened that caused me some anxiety, like this is not something that's made up and uh, scared me. So, um, but I was face to face with that person. Like they could see me, they they could read my body, I guess, you know what I mean? So how, how are you able to do this over the phone? Well, when I, like I said, I can turn it on and off. So when I get onto the phone with someone, um, I, I go to a place that um, some people that I've read for in person will say it looks like it's like a trance state because I'll be sitting um, away from someone. I don't like to look at people. If they're in person with me, I won't look at them. I turn away from them. I don't want to see their reactions. I don't want to know what they're thinking or how they're responding to what I'm saying. So I've had people kind of like look down like, to try to see my eyes, like, are you in there? I'm like, what? Yeah, I'm here. I'm just, I can't be here. So, like, for instance, right now, if I want to, I can put myself in, I can drop a veil in front of me, and this is where I read. Like, now I am in where I, when I read for people, I'm in a beach, and I can't do it right now because I'm talking to you. So, so are you like, do you think that, do you think that your consciousness goes to a different dimensional plane? Is yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. And that's why I want to get into like a place that's going to hook me up. And they, I want them to hook me up, and then I want to read someone. I want to find out what part of my brain or my consciousness or whatever starts getting activated. But you know what? People are just not open to that. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Do you think that everybody could do this if they would open their minds up to the possibility of that? Or is this something you believe that organically, biologically, you have that other people just doesn't possess? Uh, no. I think that everyone can do it. And I try to help people do it. It's not something you open up a book and you read and boom, you can do. And I... I try to tell people that you're not going to take some $500 course and you're all, all of a sudden going to be able to see dead people. It's, um, I try to explain to people the places that you go when you're daydreaming. It's the same place that you're at when you're asleep. So for instance, when you are about to wake up and all of a sudden you see your father standing there and you're like, wait a second, you're dead. What are you doing here? That is where the brain is still shut off at the idea that you can see dead people. So, obviously, the, the, the brain can see this person standing there. It's the same thing when you're awake and a person goes into a daydream mode. And this is how I tell people to start using it or start honing it. Because in a daydream, you can go skiing with Bugs Bunny if you want to. It's just, you've, you've just told your brain, I'm going to daydream, anything is possible. I can fly right now if I want to. So when you go into that daydream state, it's you're not looking around and talking to people. You are off up here daydreaming. You're in your like you're in your la la land. 
when you are there, that is when we communicate with people who've passed over. We allow our brains, our consciousness, to do things that our brains on an earthly level will not let us. So the more people go there and do that, the more information they'll get. So the discernment part is learned when you go there, and let's say you're having cake with Janet, and you're talking, and all of a sudden you allow yourself while she's doing this to go off in La La Land, and you see Janet has a bowel obstruction. Hey, Janet, you know, this is so weird. I don't know if this is right, but are you having, like, troubles digesting food? Or is, you know, that is a way people can then learn to be right or wrong. And you also learn then to trust the channels. Is, is this good or is this a bad channel? And you're like an operator. You can unplug the channels that um, you're misconstruing or misunderstanding. And when someone gives you feedback, you can go, now, okay, now I see what they're trying to show me. I get it now. And so just after years of doing that is how I've honed what my guides are just like symbolically trying to show me compared to what I'm understanding or misunderstanding. What you, what you, can do it. Yeah. What you're describing, I think, many cultures around the world do, like whether they're called shaman or whether they're called monks or something else. But, you know, Eastern philosophy um, subscribes to a lot of things that you're saying. You know, uh, indigenous people here, Native Americans, they, you know, South America, sometimes they, you know, they help them... You know, they take different concoctions to get them into that transitory state to where their their mind opens up. So let me shift just a little bit real quick because we have other members of the team. So you're telling us that, you know, you'd be in a cemetery and you would see dead people walking around. Uh, Jerry, who's our our investigator, he's been out on and, and seen things which he, I think he would describe as ghosts. What is your interpretation of what ghosts are? I mean, I think just about every person that, that I've talked to, you know, with the exception of a handful of people, at some point in their life thinks they probably saw a ghost, heard a ghost, or a spirit, or something like that. How do you, you know, what do you think these are? Are these real spirits of people, or what is your thoughts? Okay, so I want to differentiate spirits. Those are people who have died, gone to heaven, checked in, and they can pretty much go anywhere. They don't really uh, come through as a ghostly figure, okay? So that's the difference. Whereas a ghost, uh, um, that is more of a, of a specter. It's an energy, either residual or conscious, that is still residing wherever it's comfortable, wherever it wants to be here on an earthly plane. So they can attach to things. They can attach to people. Um, object and places. So if you're seeing something, it can be the fact that you are you are seeing the actual energy, the, the spirit itself, or maybe, um, let's say, the uh, residual energy that's imprinted in something, then it repeats at the same time every year or on the specific date. So there's, there's all sorts, and we're all happening at the same time in these dimensions. It's not like we're the only dimension. There are minimum of five that I know of that I have to stretch to if I'm going to talk to someone who's dead that's in a heavenly plane. I don't like doing it. My eyes start twitching, and I, it's exhausting, and I feel drunk. But, um, for instance, there, there's this place in Wisconsin. It's called the Old, Old Baraboo Inn. <clears throat> you may have heard of it, but... 
I went there one night for an investigation, talked to this little boy, Gabriel. Gabriel followed me home. My children all saw him in the bedroom, standing between the beds, and he was waking everyone up at night. You guys can go actually, if you want, and you can see the footage of this on my YouTube channel, but I set up the night vision because I thought I'm gonna catch this little dude on camera because I want proof. I know he's there. And that night, night vision, facing the kid, you see the blanket on my son's bottom bunk move. My son does not move. And then you see where Gabriel grabs the blanket and pulls it up you can see his arms and his head and he lays down. And then the next thing you see is he's at the foot of the bed and you see his butt come up and his arms and his legs and he leapfrogs off the end of the bed. It's all on camera and it's, it's freaking amazeballs. And the camera just started, when he did that, the actual camera started making weird noises like electrical energies, like like loud. And I thought, oh my God, what is this? And then boom, I thought, oh my God, I caught him on camera. It was amazing. It was amazing. But yeah, so that is a little boy who is still in my house. If he if we close the closet door and he's playing in the closet, he'll rattle the door handle. It's like, sorry, Gabriel, we open the door for him. Kids are not afraid. They know he's there. That kind of thing. So, so he, so... He's a spirit that didn't pass over, like he didn't go to heaven, or he did go to heaven and he just come back and was hanging out. Oh. No, so no, he, he never, he's not gone to heaven. We've tried. We have tried to send him away. We've tried to send him to heaven. I've tried to cut his cords and, and let him go, and uh, he won't go. He won't, he won't leave. Now, does that generally mean when you have a spirit that is attached to an area like that, is it because that they uh, have some unfinished business? Or they just more happier there? The ones that I've, well, I'm not going to say the ones because I've seen both. But a lot of times it's because they just love the environment. All those people at my grandmother's house, they just, my great grandmother's still cooking in the kitchen. You can see where there was a break front. You could see her in the kitchen with her long dress and in the reflection of the glass cooking in the kitchen and, and everybody just became very like oh there's great grandma cooking and it was like no big deal um she used to walk through the wall where there used to be a doorway and so i think these people just continue on in their dimension um within their home that's why when you change the home it can upset them so well, let me ask you this gabriel, like with gabriel how you were trying to convince him to move on um would you be able to know? I mean, obviously, if you believe in heaven, I think you have to believe in hell. I mean, you have a if you have a specter and it's it's staying in an area and you try to encourage it, hey, you really need to move on. How do you know whether they're really going to move on to heaven or they're going to move on to hell? Well, that is up to the soul. So that's why judgment is so important. You don't judge yourself or others. Because what happens is you die. And as you're being pulled towards an energy... We judge ourselves, and so we'll say all the things that we've done in life, all of the things that we hold against ourselves, we will then judge ourselves. We'll condemn ourselves to some place, and uh, that's why it's so important. Don't judge yourself, and, and let it, because God, you know, what I know of him, he does not hold things against us. Just like a parent, you know, your child can go kill someone, and you're still going to love your kid. You're going to go visit your kid. You're going to go make sure your kid's okay because you still love that child. They may have done wrong, but you're still going to love them. He's the same way. 
So he doesn't say, oh, I don't, you know what, you can't come home because you're a little shit and you, oh, sorry, and you just, uh, you killed, you, you know, you did this, you stole, you murdered, you did. He doesn't do that. It's, uh, it's what we hold against ourselves. And if we can um, forgive ourselves enough to get past that point of judgment, we'll end up in a heaven where our life of what we were supposed to learn is presented to us. How we deal with that then is really a point where some people, uh, um, they have to then go through that forgiveness process, where it's like a suicide. You know, it's, I don't even want to, that's a whole other story, but you have to go through a point where I meant to do that. I wanted to do that. Oh, I meant to go out with that person. I meant to climb them out. I wanted to do that. I was afraid. I was this, I was that. So when we go on to heaven, it, there's this whole other like debriefing of what we wanted to learn what we want to experience. And that's why a lot of people come back is because they know that they're just, there's too much to learn still. Um, and uh, there's a whole other, it's a whole other story. <laughs> I think that kind of fits into a lot of Eastern thought about reincarnation mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. you died, but you're, but you had not learned everything that you needed to learn. And so you're reincarnated and you get a second bite yeah. at the apple or a third bite, a fourth bite or a fifth bite. But I, I think, yeah. Um, and I'm not going to, obviously I'm not going to debate Judeo-Christian religion and scripture and what is this, but it sounds like what you're telling us from your experience, what, what, what you're able to glean is that eternal damnation is based upon our own judgment of ourselves, that if we, if, if we basically accept our faults and, and certain things, but we, we still... Can, can get to a positive hereafter rather than suffering an eternal yeah. damnation. It's, and, and really that's it. And, and it's funny because I can read for a Christian, I can read for a Muslim, I can read for a Buddhist, and it's the same information regardless of who they pray to. So well, that's another thing people have to understand is that um, I've only talked to one God. So that leads me also to believe is I've read all of these things and I've studied different religions and there are aspects from every religion that are explained to me throughout all this time that are real and that fit each person. So although I believe in the Bible and I believe that a lot of it happened, I also have this whole dynamic of who wrote it, what was their agenda at the time and what was the politic of the time. And I know that I'm a medium and I'm not going to hell. And I have hundreds of friends who are gay who are not going to hell. And um, so there are aspects that are man-filtered. And so um, I also believe that a lot of what was experienced back then had more to do with different dimensions and alien introductions. So I can't even get into that because people are like, what? And then, uh, yeah. Well, let me ask you this. From a medium standpoint, and and you've experienced spirits, you've experienced specters, what advice would you give to somebody um, who's in a home and they feel like they're being tormented by some sort of being, whether that be a specter, spirit, um, and let's just exclude the whole, it's a a demonic force type, you know, thing, but, but, and I think, I don't know, Jerry, you can speak to this, whether things you've seen you feel that these are ghosts spirits or whatever but what advice would you give because i'm getting the understanding that you don't really want to talk to these things 
because you don't know what answer or who's answering. So how do you cope with a bad situation or, in your home? Or get them to leave. Or get them to leave. Well, when I, let's say I bring, th- I always bring things home with me, regardless of where I'm at. If I'm someplace that has an entity that is harassing me, it's not my place. And unless, for instance, if I go someplace that's haunted, okay, that's their whole idea. That's, they're a haunted place. And I experience something negative. It's not my place to clear that energy. Um, it's the people who ever own it, if that's what they want to do. It's my choice to leave. If I'm at home and I bring something home with me, which has happened, I will recognize it, but I will ignore it until it's now trying to get my attention. At which point, usually my whole family is experiencing it and I will do a clearing. So when I do a clearing, I will do um, a sweet grass, salopancho, and I will um, go throughout the home with my entire family. And I basically say the words, anywhere the darkness touches, anywhere the light reaches, anywhere the smoke touches, so does the light of Christ. And if you are in the white light of Christ, you're welcome to stay. And if not, you have to leave. And I just say this repeatedly with force. And that's also why Gabriel sticks, because he's just a little boy. Um, everything else will, will leave. I can't say that as the case all the time, though, because if you are dealing with something demonic, it's attached and it's feeding off of someone. So that's a whole other idea. Now, I've seen a woman who has been possessed. I've seen the demons around her. Um, I was actually, like, shoved out of the house, like physically pushed backwards out of a house. I I don't know whatever happened after that. Um, I really don't. They never even contacted me again. They were so freaked out. I mean, like, 12 people went running out of the house when her eyes rolled to the back of her head. So that's all I know. Uh, there are some things you can't get rid of, but I always instruct people to do a family cleansing, not just one person, because it'll go from that person to the next, whoever is unaware. So, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that before. I was Ladies and gentlemen, that's a wrap for this first episode of the From the Shadows podcast. And tune in to episode two, where we will be continuing this insightful interview with the famed Dr. Rebecca Foster, Clairvoyant Media. From all of us here at the crew, from the From the Shadows podcast, I bid you stay in the darkness. It's very insightful. We are out. And now, ladies and gentlemen, your host, Shane Grove, has a word from our sponsors. At this time, we would like to thank our sponsors, Todd Redman at SNR Refuse, a small-town business with gold medal service, 
And that's no garbage. Does he really wear the medal when he's picking up your garbage? No, he only wears that to the movies. We'd also like to thank Jamie Thompson with the Thompson Bread Company. And like he always says, one day you're greater than sliced bread, and the next day you're toast. Thanks again, guys. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.